Welcome back to the Sports Docs Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bassett. And I'm Dr. Katherine Logan. On each episode, we chat about the most recent developments in sports medicine with experts from around the country. In this episode, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Brett Owens and focus on treatment of isolated and combined MCL injuries, as well as safe return to play. Our conversation picks back up with a level one prospective multicenter randomized control trial from March 2022 issue of AGSM titled Comparative Outcomes Occur After Superficial Medial Collateral Ligament Augmented Repair versus Reconstruction. 54 patients with grade 3 MCL injuries were randomized to either MCL augmented repair or MCL reconstruction using a free semitendinosus autograft. At one year post-op, there was no difference in objective outcomes, including gapping on postoperative valgus stress x-rays. However, patient-reported outcomes such as IKDC and Lysham scores did favor reconstruction. We finish up today with an article from the March issue of AJSM this year titled, Non-Operative Management, Repair, or Reconstruction of the Medial Collateral Ligament in Combined Anterior Cruciate and Medial Collateral Ligament Injuries, which is best. This systematic review and meta-analysis investigated the outcomes of three different approaches to ACL-MCL combined injuries. ACL reconstruction with either, one, non-operative treatment of the MCL tear, two, MCL repair, or three, MCL reconstruction. There was no difference in patient-reported outcomes, range of motion, and quadriceps strength at final follow-up. The rate of arthrofibrosis was similar between non-op and surgically treated MCL injuries, and the authors note that this rate has steadily declined, likely relating to advancement in surgical technique. Are you one of the many surgeons who thinks that getting osteochondral allografts is a complex and time-consuming process? Well, you're not alone, but we're excited to tell you that there is a simpler way. At JRF Ortho, they get it. They've heard your concerns and made it their goal to simplify the process. They're not just any company. They are leaders in fresh osteochondral allografts, holding over 60% of the global market share. JRF Ortho is committed to accommodating your needs. Delivering allografts usually around 30 days, and it's all on your terms. You choose your scheduling option, whether it's specifying a surgical date, providing a date range, or just requesting the earliest available allograft. Your preferences are their top priority. And there's more. They offer pre-sutured tendons and meniscus, and ordering is as easy as a few clicks on their user-friendly online ordering system. So why make it complicated when you can make it JRF Ortho easy? Simplify your allograft procurement today. Your journey to seamless osteochondral allografts starts with JRF Ortho. To learn more, visit jrfortho.org. Well, I think, you know, we can shift our conversation now to um, treatment options for MCL injuries. Um, so before we dive into our next paper, it's going to talk about different surgical techniques for MCL injuries. Um, we want to chat a little bit about like how you make that decision between non-op and surgery. Um, so if it's an isolated MCL tear, how are you deciding between um, like non-op and surgical? Like obviously it's less common, but like what pushes you towards surgical treatment? Sure, like I mentioned, the you know the tibial side of the injuries, I'm a lot more aggressive on, and and, and those can have a a, a slower and, and less reliable uh, healing. And uh, you know, high grade you know, tibial sided injury, I usually fix that um, acutely. Um, certainly, if there's any, if it's not, if it's flipped back, or if it is flipped on top of the the on the tibial side, I will usually fix that. Similarly, if it's a if it's a femoral sided uh, injury as well, an avulsion, 
and it's flipped around and doesn't look like it's going to be in position to heal in, that's when you can make a very strong argument for fixing acutely. Um, mm-hmm. However, I'd say that it's pretty rare to see that in an isolated situation, these high-grade you know, injuries. It's usually in with like a common ACL. And so you know, there you're talking about the, you know, doing a, usually like a common ACL reconstruction. That makes sense. So can you walk us a little bit through, we'll get surgery in a little bit, which is the fun stuff, but can you walk us a little bit through the non-surgical sure. treatment? Uh, you kind of touched upon it there, like you get them back to play in a brace, yeah. but like how long are, are you restricting weight bearing? How long are they in the brace? When do you start PT? Kind of all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it all depends. Like we mentioned, you know, these, these low grade injuries or grade one injury, usually they're able to weight bearing is tolerated. Um, you can pretty quickly begin ramping up their activity, usually in a brace. Uh, I use a you know single upright uh, uh, brace. Uh, usually, you know, the grade two injuries, if you can have a short period of immobilization, um, I think it can be helpful. If you can use a long hinge brace, crutches, get them off it for a tiny bit. Um, you know, even that first you know few days to week, I think it can be can be really helpful. Um, unfortunately, and it's great when you're able to see that athlete on the sideline and manage them throughout. In the office, oftentimes they're coming in, and it's been a week or two weeks, and it's hard really to go backwards at that point. Um, it usually, um, you know, is working closely with the trainers and understanding what you can kind of get them back to. I think I find it to be very helpful to use to use a, a single hinge brace or sometimes even a uh, an unloader brace. So in this case, it would be a a varus producing unloader that can allow them to be a little bit more active and get them on the treadmill, get them, get them uh, maintaining their aerobic conditioning to allow them to be, you know, ready for you know, return to play. Um, you know, the key is working hand in hand with the trainer um, and, 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 you know, return to play considerations. That's always a little bit tricky. It has a lot more to do with you know, where they are in their season, what position they play, what their demands are, you know, uh, in addition to having a, no pain through on physical exam. I think having some sort sort of functional test in the office. I use a fair amount of functional tests. I'm always having people running down the hallway. The my couple of partners that see in pods next to me are always like you know making fun of Owens. His, his patients are always running and cutting and pivoting in the hallway. But I'll, I'll have them do a, a karaoke, which is you know which is about as hard as I can usually get them to do um, on MCL at least on the. So it would be basically the swing leg, the back leg behind on a karaoke, um, and then do a couple, you know, and that's a really good test you can do in the office or on the sideline just to see, you know, how their MCL is with that little bit of rotational and swing phase. Um, as you know, skill positions are a little bit harder to get folks back. Usually the, it, you know, interior alignment, um, usually you can get it back a little bit faster in a brace. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like that test. I um, my clinic uh, recently sort of like combined with a total joint clinic. Like instead of it the mm. day the clinic is just sports, and it's funny because you see that sort of thing. We have in my clinic in my space. There's like force plates and a biomotion camera that we use like daily, where there you know people are doing drop jumps, doing all these sort of things, running around the hallway, and then like. <laughs> I just I, the walkers, just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, sound that's like, you know, kind of, you know yeah. what is this? But so it is. It is very funny. So I'm sure, like the total joint guy is like, "What? It, what are you doing?" And I, I'm just, "What yeah. are you doing?" That noise. It's terrible. 
But anyway, no, I, I like that test. That is not something that the karaoke, like that's not something that like I've employed. Um, it's something I feel like I always had as a kid, you know, it was like part of your warm ups and your whatever. But so I, I like that idea of doing that test. Um, so uh, I can't remember if we told you that we, when we post things on YouTube, we put in like graphics of things like, um, you know, the physical exam tests or the, uh, the stress radiographs or whatever, just because we do get a lot of different people, whether it's physical therapists, personal trainers, or surgeons, you know, kind of listening. So we'll put in that graphic. So um, it's clear. Maybe we'll make Ashley do it and do a little video of it and, you know, put that there. <laughs> I'm gonna say, should I should I admit here again that I that I don't know? You know, when you now I get when you're doing this, I know yes. what it is. I just didn't know that was the name. And I'm, <laughs> but you know what I'll do? I'll make the video. I'll dance yeah. around my living room <laughs> and I'll post that. <laughs> It'll be great. I'll do to it. Oh. <laughs> um. Awesome. You know, I think I think that's very helpful because trying to figure out when are they ready to run, when are they ready to like cut, it, it's hard. You know, it's they. I think they want like a specific time, and it's you know just kind of testing it out and pushing their edges and seeing if they're ready. You know, like Catherine, I I wanted to ask you, do you do any? Because we've talked a lot about return to play testing yeah. and things. Do you do any specific? I mean, we kind of talked about that karaoke and things like that. Do you do any like biomechanical testing to make sure people are good to return to sport after something like a non-operative injury to the yeah. NCL? And sure. what are you looking? What are you looking for as some of the most common deficits that you're seeing when you're doing that? Is it balance? Is it weakness? Is it a combination? I generally do. So Brett, in my clinic, there is like a fair amount of like functional movement testing. So the force plates can obviously look at symmetry. So like when you're doing a squat or like if you're doing a drop jump or a jump squat, um, you know, we can see like, are you sort of avoiding that side? You know, psychologically, are you ready to sort of take load um, over there? Are you still like have these compensatory patterns with like landing techniques? But then the camera will tell us like, you know, oftentimes I'm not seeing much when they're doing bilateral activities, but if they're, um, you know, doing single leg squats, those types of things, like, you know, are they dropping to valgus? Are they not activating their glutes? You know, yeah. doing all that sort of stuff. So I think it's more of just like a, almost going through like a functional movement screen that I'll do with some of the non-ops that are higher end athletes. Uh, but I, the majority of the testing is definitely post-operative. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because something we're trying to do with um, my local PTs is trying to come up with return to play testing protocols for most injuries. Like we've talked about shoulder instability and how that's really lacking in the literature. And so I just use the ACL one for like my meniscus repairs and for MCLs because a lot of it is very similar, but it would be interesting to see if there's literature or if there's not to study uh, to see what is maybe predictive of re-injury or what are the most common deficits as you talked about that kind of falling into valgus, weak glutes, all that stuff you know so i think that's very interesting yeah while we're talking about non-operative stuff I, you know i don't do a lot of this but another thing i would add is i i do sometimes use prp uh for <laughs> yeah for, for i'm a big prp guy but this is one thing that i i think it can be helpful especially in the i would call it the an mcl that kind of falls out of the hot phase of, of, of injury and it's kind of cooling off and you're just not getting the healing that you want and you still have symptoms at the site i i think sometimes it can reinvigorate a little bit of the healing process you do have to slow them down afterwards right and kind of you know take a couple steps back and rebrace them uh, uh in the early phase and kind of restart okay. the clock a little bit on it but it it can be 
especially for an in-season person, if you want to you know, have that hope maybe to get to get them back, you can you sometimes can have success with that. Yeah, and I think that's also you bring up a point about after PRP, I don't think we have a lot of guidelines or a lot of um, really data to talk about like what activity is okay after, like how fast can we get them to return, you know, no matter what it is, whether it's like, you know, someone's doing it for cuff or tennis elbow or whatever, like, are we supposed to be shutting them down? Are we letting them just listen to their symptoms? But I think that there's a big gap there for, of, you know, trying to figure out the activities after that. Truth. Um, okay. So, um, we need to hear, Brett, we haven't heard, like, what is your repair technique in an isolated MCL? So say it's like a grade three MCL, you've decided, um, that it's something you're going to manage surgically, like a, a, you know, proximal injury. Um, what, you know, what's your repair technique and how has that changed over the years? Yeah, I don't know. That's one thing I don't think has changed for me. I usually use a uh, a double loaded anchor. You know, on, on the femoral side, it's usually a single uh, a, a single anchor, you know, double loaded anchor, more of a cuff anchor. Um, you know, at the uh, at the origin, you know, just south of the epicondyle. Um, and I usually use a single anchor, MCL and POL on that side. The tibial side is where I usually use multiple anchors if I can. Also try to get double loaded anchors and you know, get a broad footprint, you know, on the, on the proximal tibia. But um, yeah, I don't think there's anything too fancy about about my repairs. Uh, it teach me something. Well, what you got, Ashley, for your repair technique? Yeah, so very similar. So I do mm -hmm. on the. Most of the ones I'm repairing are the tibial sided ones where they're flipped up yeah. on themselves. I just had recently, a couple months ago, a lineman who actually was wearing a prophylactic brace and was just taken out at the knee. I was, I was shocked his cruciate ligaments were intact. Um, and he had just a complete avulsion of his uh, tibial uh, attachment of the MCL, deep and superficial, kind of bunched up on itself. A big lineman, yeah. uh, normal alignment, um, but I ended up taking him for repair. And I did the double row repair. I did two um, fiber tacks um, that I passed through and then tie. And then I bring them over the top and dunk them into two distal swivel locks that then I incorporate a running crack out um, in the superficial MCL into that. So it's like, almost like a rotator cuff. It's like a double row repair. And then might be controversial, but I do add an internal brace uh, to these. Um, I've learned over the years to really make sure I'm not overly tensioning the internal brace because I think stiffness is a real concern. I feel like the first couple MCLs that I did, I definitely like cranked because I try to crank on everything and maybe made them a little bit too stiff. Um, I don't really know that you really need an internal brace, but I think it just gives me a little bit of comfort kind of advancing the rehab, maybe a little quicker um, having that internal brace in place. But um, what are your thoughts? Do you use an internal brace or are you not, not a fan of the internal brace? Um, no, I haven't seen the data really to support it on, on an MCL. I mean, it's got some really good data on, on, on UCLs and, you know, I think it's cool. You know, there, there, there are studies that I know support it for, for as an augment to an ACL. Um, I'm kind of a BTB surgeon most of the time, these young athletes, and I haven't seen data for that really. I know some soft tissue graft folks have, have, have found some value. Um, I don't know. I, I, I I think it's a really cool concept, especially for a mid-substance type tear, and you're trying to, mm -hmm. you know, maintain the relationship right and, and allowing things to congeal and heal in. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I think in the scenario that you just, I mean, 
gosh, actually, what a repair, right? You have a double row <laughs> repair, right? Yeah. Mean, with, and that's really good tissue, right? And so yeah. do you really need something else to make you feel better about it, right? I mean, do, do yeah. you need one piece of, of, uh, of tape. you know, not absorbable <laughs> yeah. tape is going to make the difference? Uh, I, I don't know. I think when I, if I'm thinking, if I'm feeling insecure about it, I'm adding a graph. I'm, I'm probably mm -hmm. adding an allograft to it or, or even an autograft, right? And some folks will use, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, ipsilateral hamstring right there. Um, and early in my practice, I did a lot of that, but I've, I pretty much moved, moved to allograft most of the time now. But um, if I'm feeling not good about it, I'm probably going to add a graft. Um, and you can make a good argument, I guess, too, if you're adding a graft, you could add a, um, a suture with that graft. I still just use, usually use just the tissue itself. But it's a good point, Catherine. Are you uh, are you drinking the Kool Aid or what? I'm not. I'm not drinking the Kool Aid. But I actually, as we, uh, you guys were just talking, I was kind of looking at uh, PubMed. I'm gonna have to keep looking because I think there's a paper that talked about um, one of the advantages of an internal brace is earlier weight bearing. I don't know what your weight bearing status is after repair or reconstruction. If you you know protect their weight bearing, I do. Um, but I, I'm going to have to look at for that paper because I think there was a paper that basically was saying, hey, here's a reason for an internal brace. You're going to let them, um, you know, walk a little earlier. And especially if it was someone that you're really worried about their compliance, you know, they're heavier, they're, you know, bigger person, you know, whatever, you know, if they're going to be weight bearing on it, it might give you a little bit, um, you know, maybe feel better and sleep a little bit better. But um, stay tuned. I'll look for that mm -hmm. uh, after. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that actually does bring us to weight bearing. So what, um, Brett, what do you do for weight bearing? Uh, does it differ between a repair versus a reconstruction? No, we have one MCL protocol that, um, you know, is, is pretty similar to, you know, our meniscus protocol with a progressive uh, 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 weight bearing. I think it's first two weeks non and then, you know, 25, 50, 75 progressive uh, weight bearing in addition to similar, you know, zero to 90 in the first six weeks with progressing on past that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I know the meniscus one is always very controversial. Even in my practice, people are always going back and yeah. forth on, 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 you know, how, how aggressive to be. And I, I get that. I, I know that more accelerated protocols have been shown to have value in general. I, 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 I tend to try to be a little conservative because if I tell my patients that they can walk, then I've had some that are out, you know, running, right? If I tell them they can run, they're playing basketball. Right? And so I think uh, yeah. I want to kind of keep them, keep them caged for a little bit in this first couple of weeks, let it begin to heal in. Um, again, it all depends a little bit on what else you're doing. If it's a, you know, if you're more worried about stiffness, uh, if you're doing like a concomitant, you know, meniscal work or, or, or ACL or multi-league situation. Yeah, Ashley and I talk about the meniscus weight bearing all the time because yeah. I think one we've both changed over time. I know mm -hmm. I've been like I used to be extremely strict. I'm a little bit more lenient, but not lenient. Like, mm -hmm. um, but I also feel like you know there's just not a lot of consensus. Um, so Ashley, what do you do for your MCLs for weight bearing? Yeah, so I am a firm believer that 
whatever I tell my patients that they're allowed to do, they're going to take it one step further. So I'm exactly. very conservative. <laughs> and, and I think that that might be why, you know, I'm adding that internal brace. Cause I think most of the time that we're repairing these, it, at least again, in my population, it's a lot of football players. So it tends to be like larger linemen. We're like, even if they're partial weight bearing, they're weight bearing more than I am through, through my joint. And so I think it gives me that added comfort. So I do protected weight bearing, um, toe touch weight bearing for two weeks. Then I advanced to partial and then full at four weeks in the brace, um, locked in extension. Um, but I start them in PT immediately, zero to 90 for the first two weeks, and then full thereafter. I really push the motion because I worry about stiffness. Um, and I set those goals. They won't hit those goals, but I really aim for them to try to advance their motion because the number one concern I have is stiffness. Yeah. yeah Catherine's no, going to find us a citation. She says that we can, you, put, yeah, you can put exactly. one piece, one piece so of string there and they can wave there immediately. Exactly. So I pat myself on the back for being the, uh, the all-knower that puts in internal braces on the MCM. <laughs> Awesome. Well, while Catherine is searching for that, um, we talked about like your repair and your reconstruction protocol being very similar. So yeah. how do you decide between repair and reconstruction? Is it duration from injury? Is this a surgical decision you're making? You talked about like adding a graft if it wasn't coming together well. Like how do you make that call? Yeah, I like to make the call beforehand usually. I mean, mm -hmm. in an acute situation, I try to do a repair. In theory, I, it's pretty rare that I'll have a case like this, but I have a, a few where it's torn at two locations or it's a, it's truly a mid-substance type tear. It's high grade and um, maybe you're going in for another reason and you have to do a, a repair. And I'm, I'm, I'm basically prepared to have a graft available. Um, and most of my reconstructions are more in the delayed, uh, in the delayed uh, uh, surgical approaches. Um, uh, I guess I was just responding to your scenario where you didn't feel good about your repair and yeah. you, know, you can add a graph that if you've had them consented at least for that beforehand. But, um, no, most of my reconstructions are, are more chronic situations. And, you know, I try to treat my ACL, MCL. Is it okay if we talk about ACL, MCL? Is that yeah, where, where we good, are? Good jumping uh, point. So yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I try to treat them unless we have one of those absolute or relative indications for uh, early surgical interventions, such as a tibial sided you know, injury. Um, I tried or, or, you know, other meniscal situation. I try to give them six weeks to heal in so we can get the MCL to heal and just address the, um, you know, the ACL. It, it is, there's a lot of level one evidence looking at, at this situation and really doesn't show a, a benefit of, of, of addressing, you know, the MCL doesn't seem to make a difference. I know in, mm -hmm. in my hands being responsible for, you know, the ACL security, you know, I do want to have security of, of my, of my collaterals and I want to make sure my MCL is solid. Uh, usually, and I usually make my decision preoperatively. I'm one of those guys that likes to figure it out beforehand, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Maybe in my, maybe not in the holding area, but in the, in, you know, in, 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 at least in my, EU way, I want to have a decision and not wait till my ACL graft is secured. Mm -hmm. Find that it, I always, I don't know, everyone's different about that. I'd love to hear you both on how you approach that, but I always find that maybe I'm, I'm biased there then based upon my ACL fixation. But I like to make my decision hey, we're, you know, this is not, this is too loose still. It's been too long and um, it, it's not getting sticky. And we have to either, usually it's a repair in that scenario. If it were a you know unique scenario and I need to add a graph, I would I would add a graph. Mm -hmm. 
Um, found the paper. <laughs> okay. Welcome back. <laughs> Basically, there's really no like data. It's more of like an opinion, I would say. Um, so it was out of HSS. It's more saying, hey, you should do this as a technique. Um, it is an arthroscopy uh, because it allows them to wait there immediately. But I don't see a reference mm -hmm. that says because this bomb mechanic study was performed or anything like that. So, so are, there any, I, are there any financial disclosures of the author? <laughs> probably. <laughs> okay. So probably. But um, you can find that article and I would guess you'll say yes. Um, but yeah, it, they do weight bear right away because of that brace. So I think that's what I was remembering, but there, I don't see any like actual data to back up why. So, you know. But it's interesting, right? You have this opinion paper out there and it's, it's stuck in your head. Um, I, I don't know. It, it, it would be cool to look at biomechanically. I think, I mean, I think that is interesting. It's just, there's so much load that I think is actually alluded to, you know, these big linemen, that, you know. There's a yeah. lot of load across the MCL, and what um, we can do to help is is great. I'm just not completely sold on yeah isolation. Yeah. All right. Well, I got sidetracked there, so sorry mm -hmm. about that. But um, <laughs> okay. I think you you're talking a little bit about um, ACL, and I think did you guys talk a little bit about graft if you're talking about um, that you will use allograft, correct? If you're going to do a recon for MCL? I am now almost completely allograft. Yeah. I mean, I, I think early in my practice, I would use it, you know, I would use an open-ended stripper and keep the, 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 usually the, you know, the semi-T uh, attached and then swing that up. And you can also, I know I was, Laprade has described, make it a little bit more anatomic with an anchor at the tibial you know, footprint first. But um, uh, you know, with, you know, I, I feel fortunate, you know, being practicing in the U.S. where we have allograft available to us. And, um, you know, that, those hamstrings are secondary stabilizers immediately. And at yeah. least for me, I usually would like to preserve them if I can um, and, uh, and usually and use a semi-T uh, allograft usually. Yeah, that's and I've been all over the place. I I started with like a, an Achilles graft. I started with all these different grafts, and for me, I I, I, I use a double limbed uh, semi T. Yeah. So, um, Ashley, are you using allograft or are you doing auto? Yeah, so so typically I I haven't had many where I can't repair them um, because I think we've spoken about like I, we see these right as soon as the injury comes in ACL MCL I'm getting them into PT that day or the next day three times a week and so with prehab I'm usually able to get to them within that like two to four week window and so it's still typically repairable at that point I know we've discussed this and Brett I'm interested to hear your opinion on this about whether there would ever be a scenario where you would take someone to the OR repair the MCL and then come back for the ACL I think you kind of already answered that saying if you just couldn't repair at the time of the ACL you would do a reconstruction but I wonder if there's any tire type that would push you towards that um, but I haven't had to do that so if I do a reconstruction I typically will do an allograph and I still use Achilles allograph um, just how I was trained in fellowships that's what i'm using but it's it's super rare for me to have to do that yeah i mean that is a unique scenario i i, I with an acl mcl i don't think that I, I i usually do 
in a multi league mm-hmm. situation, I certainly have. And I've had mm-hmm. A few recent ACL, MCL, PCLs, right? That um, it, 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 it all depends on the scenario and how acute it is. And sometimes in, in a multi league situation, you have, a, you have a huge soft tissue stripping. Uh, and I know there one in particular that had you know a lot of soft tissue. Uh, uh, injury, and we did just the MCL first. Uh, I think it might have been also patellar tendon involved, right? And we fixed that first, and then you know d- delayed do cruciate later. So um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that there's 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 never and never and never and always, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. addressing these. Um, we did talk a little bit about uh, return to play testing already. Um, I know we're getting close to the end of time. So I, one of the other things we want to touch on, um, do you ever do um, like screening for psychological readiness with MCL? Like we talk about it so much with ACL. Are you seeing those sort of, um, for lack of a better word, like hesitation, um, you know, nervousness, anxiety about returning to play in MCL without the ACL? No, I'm not. Yeah. You know, and and yeah. It, 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 yeah, this is, uh, you know, it, it's also amazing how much, you know, for for lack of a better word, slop uh, is tolerated uh, in, in MCL injuries, right? I mean, we all see, you know, I take care of professional hockey players, and it's a while you see these, you know, these loose MCLs that, oh, yeah, I tore, tore that back in, uh, yeah. in, in, in school. And, uh, and especially with, with skating is so MCL dependent, right? And you see some of these chronic injuries that are, are tolerated to have this, sometimes even, you know, up to a grade two kind of side-to-side difference with no symptoms at all, right? Um, so, um, and I don't see a lot of apprehension or anxiety or kinesophobia like you do with the, the cruciate injuries, but I also don't do as good of a job of following them, right? So most MCLs, seeing you in the office maybe once right and then they're being managed by their therapist or their trainer um and, and you know that acl that you you know again it's a surgical thing too right but you're following them you know out to a year right and you really have that strong relationship and the time to to really talk about um the psychological impact and and, and return yeah I also think hockey players are a little, mm-hmm. you know, they're just like, whatever, you know, it's not a big deal, you know, for a lot of things. Yeah. Really <laughs> I are. Had, um, a kid today. Uh, he's like, he plays AAA, you know, out of state. Um, I'd seen him in the past. I know the family well, cause my kids play hockey and he had like a grade two AC and, um, you know, was counseled sort of out of state. Oh, surgical. You're definitely going to need surgical surgery for that. I saw him in clinic, you know, this week, he's home for Thanksgiving. And, you know, I was just saying, hey, you're going to have a bump there. You don't need surgery, but, you know, it's just going to look like that. And he said, yeah, I saw my coach yesterday, like his local coach. Um, and he basically. Who has it too, right? <laughs> and he, he wants to yeah. see mine in grade three. He's like, see mine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. They all have it. Right. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they're funny that way. But anyway. Um, but yeah, Ashley, do you have any differing opinions on psychological readiness? But, you know, I kind of agree. No, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think if we're ultimately going to craft a formal return to play test like we did for ACL, we should include some component of that, you know, uh, psychological screening like they have at ACL, RSI, uh, especially for the surgical ones. Um, but I think uh, for the non-operative treated ones, I, I think they do really well. 
So I think that I, I don't worry about as much. I think if biomechanically they seem optimized and ready to get back in, uh, I don't worry about that as much. But I do think that's the future with all of our surgical injuries. I mentioned shoulder instability, ACL, you know, um, some of these major injuries. I think we need to be looking at psychological fear of re-injury in terms of being um, prognostic of potential re-injury. So I think that's something important. And then we need to come up with interventions. You know, we've spoken about this, Catherine, that you can't just identify there's a problem, but then who do we refer them to? Where are the sports psychologists? What programs can we get them into? When should we be identifying this? Should we be identifying it pre-op and be working with them through? So I think there's a lot to learn in this realm. Yeah. Kudos to you both. It's, it's a great, it's a, it's an area that we really need to uh, uh, advance in. Yeah, no, agree. Um, all right. Well, I think we went, you know, front to back to MCL, mm -hmm. but uh, we always end with our fast five questions for you. So get ready. Mm -hmm. This was good. This was this was a uh, you know the the the, the stepchild of, of of knee ligament injuries, and, and <laughs> I think we tried to make it as exciting as we could. You did so. a great job. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so you're obviously an awesome guest and we're yeah. lucky to have you and um, also look forward to, you know, pulling you back in for AOSSM to hear updates mm -hmm. on the bear trial because, you know, there should be a lot more data at that point. And I think it'll be really great to hear it and, you know, see what you have to say then too. Love to. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we make you promise. <laughs> um, all right, Ashley, you want to kick it off? Absolutely. So in the OR, do you use foot pedal or hand control? Hand control. Um, and that's for everything, for like shaver, burner, all that stuff. Everything. Um, I have the sore thumbs to, to prove it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, all right. What shoes do you wear in the operating room? I wear you know, knee high boots. Always have. Uh, people make fun of it all the time. But, uh, 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 even today, someone said, "Hey, hey doc, and where I am, like, hey doc, you going call hogging? Are you, you know, they think I'm going off playing or something?" And uh, but yeah, it, it's uh, I always wear the knee high boots. You you are not in the minority. So Mary Mulcahy, I don't know if you saw this, Catherine, on, on Twitter, posted a picture of her in, in rain boots with one of her, I think a student that was with her, and uh, was like, you know, do you wear rain boots in the OR? And, and tagged a bunch of us, Catherine, you were tagged in it too. And, and people were answering like, yes, of course, yes, real sports surgeons wear rain boots. And I was like, I guess I'll be the minority that says I wear my clogs with like the pullovers. And I was like the only person that admitted to that. Everyone else was like, you know, you're not a real sports surgeon if you don't wear rain boots. And I was like, crap, I should like delete my response. <laughs> it's like, this is so intense. So everyone seems to be wearing rain boots. So you're not alone. <laughs> I wear um, like tall hunter boots, but they have a wedge heel. Um, and so they're like pretty stacked because like when you're a resident, everybody was so much taller than me and I didn't want to use the step stool. So it was just with the table height, I could use that wedge heel and I'd be fine. And then uh, when I was like finishing up residency, Hunter stopped making those. So I went and like, if you go in my garage, there's like five pairs of brand new ones, like just ready. So I have them for my career. That's awesome. That's a uh, forward thinking, Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what is your favorite OR lounge snack? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I should bring my own snack. So, you know, maybe, maybe a cup of coffee. Yeah, that's me. Boring. Yeah. 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 
Um, I actually, when I was in between cases today, ran, I got a coffee and it was just like perfect. It was so good. Um, and I was like, you know, just like walking and I probably only got to have like, I don't know, a third of it. And I just like had to throw it out and I was like, so man, but that's my in between too. Um, so what music do you play in the OR? Yeah, we're kind of all over the spectrum. Yeah, we really are. I, I like to let my patients um, choose. And uh, uh, it's been ever since Taylor Swift dropped her new record. It's all my adolescence have been, uh, it's been a lot of Tay-Tay. Uh, but I usually <laughs> let them pick, right? Um, if it's up to me, it's usually Grateful Dead or some classic rock. But um my usual rule is the ABCs are uh, anything but country. Uh, but yeah, I'll even do country if the team, if the team really wants it. I, we try to make it so that yeah. the team is really supportive. Uh, the question I'll throw back to you is: is when is it acceptable to play Christmas music? Do we have to wait till after Thanksgiving? Is it is it only Christmas Eve? When is it acceptable in your R? I am I am obsessed with Christmas. I would start it in in like September. Obviously, that's not socially okay. acceptable, so I don't do that. Um, but after Halloween, so I just played it for two of the five cases today. But it's funny because since you told Catherine and I in the past um, that you let the patient choose, I've been trying to do that. And so my PA was obsessed with Taylor Swift. And we had all young. Uh, young athletes say all young female athletes 14 yeah. 15 i was like you're gonna get taylor anna you're you're yeah, gonna yeah. get her and they settle in and everyone doesn't like country in the or um and so they settle in i'm like all right well, what do you want to listen to and she's like i love country and everyone's like no <laughs> like, it was like we reached the end of the day no one no one requested taylor anna was devastated it was a bad ending to the day <laughs> but, but maybe next time but yeah we listen you'll, to you'll learn a lot by by letting them yeah. do it, by letting them yeah. pick. I learned loads of new bands. And awesome. uh, oh, last year I had this this kind of older cuff woman who, you know, we gave her a choice. It's just sweet, sweet older woman. And she looks at us and she says with a real raspy voice, ACDC. And uh, we, all, we, we all couldn't stop laughing. And we listened to ACDC the whole case just for her. So That's um, awesome. yeah, it, it's always fun if they could pick. Did you see that study that came out? I'm trying to remember. Was it a New England Journal? I'm trying to remember. It was about music in the OR and who's most productive. Like as far as, I think they looked at like efficiency and um, uh, maybe even turnover time. You know, it was just all these sort of like generic metrics because it was across all different surgical subspecialties. Um, and it was ACDC. Really? Yeah. Like, yeah, we have to cover that. We have to cover that article in one of our mini episodes. That'll be so popular. I haven't heard of that. That's awesome. I'll find the paper. It's really good. That's great. Yeah. And then, okay. So, oh, your turn. Go ahead. Oh, favorite surgery. Yeah, I have to say, an arthroscopic bank heart repair is probably my favorite. It's like very rewarding. Hard to beat that, you know, or. Nice BTB ACL. It's hard to, you know, if I could just do those two the rest of my career, I'd be a pretty happy guy. Yeah, nice. no, good point. All right, so we do um, something where you're going to propose a question to our next guest, and someone has already proposed a question for you. So your oh, question, okay. okay, I think you know him, comes from Dr. Mm-hmm. Matt Provincher. Um, oh, okay. And, <laughs> and he wants to know, um, why do you think collegiate rowing athletes are far superior to lacrosse players? 
collegiate rowing athletes. Okay, that's uh, if Matt were here, I'd have to you know challenge his use of rowing athletes. But um, uh, you know, Matt's a former rower, and I have a lot of respect and, and friends that are, that are rowers. And um, yeah, I would have to say. No one's tougher than lacrosse players, but if 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 a college rower were tougher than a lacrosse player like Matt, it would have to be to his superior grit and resilience. Yes, I agree. <laughs> All right, and then you are going to propose um, a question uh, to Doctor uh, William Bugby, who is going to be an episode doing oh, okay. an episode of OCA. So osteochondral yeah. and Well, I, I mean, he, he, you have the expert on. That's super exciting. I don't know Bill well, but he's uh, I'm a big fan of his work, and I think it's going to be exciting to see what he has to share. You know, I do a lot of fresh OCs for usually for for condyle lesions. You know, I, I think I'd love to see. I still kind of lean on Macy because I've had some really rough experiences with patella. I guess that would be my question. It would be teach us some advice for treating the patella with fresh OCAs um, uh, and maybe the trochlea too. The patellofemoral joint would be a really interesting area to look at. I know some people, of course, Tom DeBernardino does these huge, you know, like complete resurfacings of the patella, like where he, mm. take, you know, I don't know, I've had some bad experiences where you don't know the, the thickness of the graft and you, put in a graph with a different thickness um yep. and i've had some failures of the oh, with a plug right and and those are yep. those are a little tricky so i think if it's uh unless it's a bony reason to do so um it's actually the case i really like to do a, a, a macy for yeah agreed no great question yeah all right well thank well, you so much that's gonna be it that's gonna be yeah. a really good session I, i'm excited to hear that he, he's he's yeah. super yeah. That, that that's great uh, I had so much fun today. This was this was yeah. a lot of fun. Thank you. No, we Thank feel you. really lucky to have you, and appreciate you taking so much time with us. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. <laughs> and we're really excited to get you back at AOSSM and yes. have you kind of give yes. us an update. As Catherine said about that bear trial. We're really excited to see some of those results. So hopefully, you can you let us in on some of the some of the early results at AOSSM. Thanks. That'll awesome. be great. Thank you. Thank you you for listening to this episode of the Sports Talks. We hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as we did. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and now on YouTube to stay up to date on all things sports medicine. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review or comment. You can also reach us by email at thesportstalkspod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at thesportstalkspod and Twitter at thesportstalkpod. We love your feedback.